Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you in worship on this Lord's Day. I am really glad you're here, one and all. Thank you for worshiping the Lord through song, and now let's worship through the Word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, I want to invite you to get your listening outline from your worship guide. Get a pen in hand and open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And this morning, as you see on your outline, I want to share a message entitled, the questions they asked, the questions they asked, sex, singleness, and marriage for followers of Jesus. Now, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, let me offer a warm, warm welcome to those who are in our contemporary service, as well as those of you who are joining on the live stream and later on TV. I'm really glad you're here this morning as well. And let me just say to those of you watching on the live stream and on TV, man, I'm encouraging you, if you live within driving distance, don't be content to simply watch at home. Make your way here to Ingleside. Be a part of a service in person. Get connected to a group. Boy, we're hoping you're going to make your way to church for the first time or back to church really, really soon. I don't know about you all, but as the virus recedes and as the days get longer and spring is on the way, I just sense the momentum building again, don't you? I just sense that all around. I'm really grateful that you're here this morning. Now, I want to ask you a question. How many of you all believe that God knows what's best for our lives? How many of you all believe that? Well, of course you do. Hands up all around the room. I believe that too. How many of you, let me ask a second question. How many of you uh, would agree with me that sometimes what God teaches us about what is best is at odds with what the world teaches us. Would you agree with that? Yeah? Okay, many of you would raise your hands. Now, guess what I know about a Sunday morning at Ingleside? In this room today, there'll be folks at a lot of different places spiritually. Some of you have followed the Lord and studied the Bible and walked with him for many, many years. Others of you, though, are brand new. You're brand new to church. You're brand new to the gospel. You're brand new to the Bible. That's certainly true for some who are watching on TV or online today. And so I want to give you a heads up as we begin our read and application of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If you're new today to the gospel or to church or to the Bible, you may hear some things you have never heard. You may be challenged by some things because if you've just absorbed some of the teaching of the world, you're going to hear something that challenges and, and convicts and pushes back on some of what the world has taught us. But I'm convinced, you all, that God knows what is best for us. He knows what is good for us. His revealed will in his word, when we receive it and obey it, will help us walk in paths that will be filled with his blessing. So with that bit of a preamble, let's take a run at it, shall we? Sometimes we look at a few verses, sometimes we look at a lot. We're going to look at the entirety of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and I think you're going to find some encouragement, instruction, and challenge in it. Here's what the Bible says. Look at it with me. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth in verse, chapter 7, verse 1, 
he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. So let's just stop for a moment. Paul helped plant this church in about 50 AD. Now it's three to five years later, and they have written him a letter. He's in Ephesus now. They've written him a letter with some questions about what following Jesus actually should mean for their lives. And some of their questions, as we're going to see, had to do with sex and singleness and marriage. And so he's going to answer those questions in our chapter today. Now, let me just say, this is not all the Bible says about those topics. This is not a fully comprehensive treatment of those topics, but there will be a lot to learn here today. Look at it. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Do you see that in quotes? That is what some of the people in the church of Corinth were saying. They were saying, now, now that we follow Jesus, if we're going to be holy people, we should abstain from sexual relations altogether. Look at verse 2. He says, but because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So that is an endorsement of, it teaches us the biblical standard of monogamous male-female marriage relationships. It means bigamy is not appropriate for Christ's followers. Polygamy is not appropriate for Christ's followers. Same-sex relationships are not appropriate for Christ's followers. He says each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Then he dives in a little deeper. Look at it, verse 3. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, and likewise the wife to her husband. There ought to be mutuality in marriage. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. So, verse 5, he says, Do not deprive one another, except by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you, because you lack self-control. So, what are the principles Paul is teaching? Some are saying, following Jesus, does that mean we ought not have any sex at all, not even in marriage? But Paul says, no, that's not the case. So here's the first principle. Write it in. Sex is God's good gift. Sex is God's good gift for a husband and wife in marriage. It's part of God's plan. It's what he intends. And then at the top of page two, write it in, number two. Sex in marriage is for multiple purposes. It's intended for procreation, God said, be fruitful and multiply, pleasure to increase intimacy and companionship. And then in this passage, Paul says, and it decreases the temptation to sexual immorality. And so, all the married people, look up here. The first big truth is today, God wants you to have a great sex life. Would you like to say amen to that? Man, that was pitiful. <laughs> Y'all not sure if that's true or not. Well, it is true. And the Bible says that it's for all those reasons I just mentioned. It's for all those reasons. But it's also so that you will not participate in sexual relationships that are immoral. 
those that are outside of marriage. Now let's look a little further. Look at verses six, seven, and eight. He says, now as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. He says, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So the Apostle Paul is acknowledging here that he's single. Now, we really don't know his whole marital story. It's just not in Scripture and we don't know it. Some would say it means that Paul was single, never married, and that may have been the case. Some say that no, like most Pharisees, and Paul was a Pharisee before he was a Christ follower, some say that Paul was married, but whenever he became a Christ follower, his wife abandoned him. She said, no, I'm not going to follow Christ with you. And so he was uh, single because of his divorce. Some would say that the Apostle Paul was widowed, that yes, he had been married, but now uh, he was widowed and single again. We just don't know. But what the Apostle Paul is teaching us here is clear. Write it in on your outline. Number three, Paul is teaching us that both singleness and marriage are gifts from God, and both single people and married people can live lives that bring glory to God and good to their own lives. Now, is it true that in the book of Genesis, the Bible says, not good for the man to be alone? I've created a helper suitable for him. Yes. And is it true historically that most people will be married? Yes. But the Bible says some are gifted to be married. Some are gifted to be single. And God blesses both singles and married folks within the body of Christ. So I want to say, whether you're single or married, you're going to find a great place to grow spiritually, to be loved, to be encouraged in your walk with the Lord right here at Ingleside. That's what the Lord intends. The fourth truth is here as well, and that is, write it in, that celibacy, sexual abstinence, is God's expectation of all who are single. Do you see that in verse 9? He says, look, if, if you're single and you cannot exercise self-control, then God's, he's talking about self-control sexually. He said, then maybe that's an indicator you ought to marry. For it's better to marry and express your sexuality as God intends in marriage than it is to burn with passion. Now, I just want to stop for a moment and say, this is a countercultural message, is it not? Would you agree with me today? Our world's not going to really affirm this message. Uh, instead, in our hypersexualized culture, the only standard, the only standard is that you be above the age of majority and that consent be involved. But that's not the biblical standard. The biblical standard is that sex is God's good gift for marriage and for marriage alone. So, listen, single men and women whom I love and who are in Christ and who are at Ingleside. 
if you're a single man or woman today, God intends for you to be sexually abstinent for your own good and for his glory. That means premarital sex? No, not appropriate. Extramarital sex? No, not appropriate. Homosexual sex? No, not appropriate. Sex, the Bible says, is like a fire in the fireplace at home. If the fire's in the fireplace, it can be a source of light and warmth and joy and good things as everybody gathers around. But if the fire gets out of the fireplace, it'll burn the house down. And the Bible says that God is, sex is God's good gift for marriage, not outside that. Are you with me so far? If you're still with me, can you say amen? Okay, just making sure you're there. Um, Verse 10, look at it. He says, to the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. He says, and what he's saying there is that there is a specific teaching from Jesus that he's pointing back to. Matthew 5.32, Matthew 19.9, you may want to write in the margin He says, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. And to the rest I say, I not the Lord. Doesn't mean that this is not authoritative apostolic teaching. It just means there's not a particular verse of Jesus that he's pointing back to. He says, to the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So here's what had happened. You got two people, they're just living life in Corinth. And one of them hears the gospel, repents and believes, experiences forgiveness of sin, eternal life in Christ, and they become a part of the worshiping community there, the church in Corinth. But their spouse, their husband or wife, still an unbeliever. So Paul says, now, if you become a believer and your spouse is not a believer, don't don't just assume that you're going to send them away or divorce them. Don't do that, he says. If they are willing to live with you, then you should live with them. Why? Look in verse 14. He says, for the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so, and such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you'll save your husband? And how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? So, two more principles. Are you ready? Write them in. The first principle, number five, comes from verses 10 and 11. And that is, based on the teaching of Jesus that the Apostle Paul reemphasizes, divorce... Divorce among followers of Jesus should be very rare. Divorce among followers of Jesus should be very rare. Instead, when we marry as followers of Christ, 
Through the ups and through the downs, through the good times, through the hard times, through good health, through sickness, when things are good financially and when they're not. You see, it's the reason why marital vows are what they are. It means by God's grace, we're going to stay married to one another as long as we're alive for God's glory, for our own good, and for the good of our families. So now look right up here. Can I just underscore that again? Can I just say that's still God's standard? That he expects husbands and wives to build marriages that go the distance for their own good and for his great glory. And that's out of step with what our world tells us. Now, yeah, I don't want to pretend that I don't want to pretend that marriage is not sometimes a challenge. Let me just see a show of hands among the married folks in the room. How many of you agree with me that it takes some work, it takes some intentionality, it may even take some perseverance to stay married and to build a healthy marriage? How many of you agree with that? Can I see your hand? Yeah, and the rest of you are lying. Right here in church on a Sunday morning. No, look, what you have to do to stay married, by God's grace, you have to love one another. You have to honor one another. You have to submit to one another. You have to prefer one another. You have to forgive one another. You have to be reconciled to one another. You have to be restored to one another. You have to continue to invest in one another. And man, I just want to encourage you, husbands and wives, to do that. Stay in the game. Don't throw it away. Now, I don't want to be misheard this morning. Some of you would say, but now, Pastor Tim, aren't there some occasions when divorce is warranted? And the answer is yes. Jesus said so. The Apostle Paul says so. The Bible says so. But they ought to be rare. Instead, a fellowship like ours ought to be characterized by marriages that go the distance. And I want to encourage you in that. In fact, I want to tell you that if, if you've hit a rough spot, if you've hit a rough patch, don't just assume that that means you've got to bail out and abandon your marriage. Oh, no. Reach out for some help. I can tell you, based on three decades of pastoral counsel with folks in our church and beyond, by God's grace, he can help you. He can help you so that you can stay married for his glory and your good. And I want to encourage you to do that today. The second truth that comes out of this passage is that divorce among Christ followers should be very rare. But number six, believing spouses should be a witness and a godly influence on their unbelieving mates. So Paul says, look... um, He's not saying you ought to marry an unbeliever, but if he says you're both unbelievers and one of you becomes a a, a believer, don't abandon the relationship. Instead, God has you there 
to be a loving witness to your mate, a godly influence on your children. And who knows, God may use you so that your whole family comes to faith in Christ. Well, let's keep running. I want you to see all the principles this morning. Verse 17 says, Only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his called uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. In other words, Paul is saying, were you a Jew when God called you to faith in Christ? Or were you a Gentile when God called you to faith in Christ? He says that's not the most important thing, whether you were a Jew or a Gentile. Look at it, verse 19, for neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. Here it is, but keeping the commands of God. Each one should remain in the condition which he was called. Paul says, you can be a devoted Christ follower even if your background is Jewish. You can be a devoted Christ follower even if your background is that of a Gentile. And then he changes the frame. He says, let's not talk just about Jew and Gentile. Let's talk about your economic circumstances. He says, verse 21, were you a bond servant when called? Don't be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. In other words, he's saying, so if you're, if you're not free, most of the commentators say uh, upwards of 50% of the people who lived in Corinth were involved in some kind of indentured servanthood. They were bond servants, slaves. And Paul says, look, if you can better your circumstance and be free, do it. But he said, you know what? If you can't, you can be a faithful follower of Christ right where you are. Look at verse 22 and 23. He explains, he says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. And likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. So don't become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So write in the principles. Here they are, number seven. God's specific assignment and calling for each of us is not the same. We have different backgrounds, we have different starting points, we have different families of origin, we have different gifts, we have different personalities, we have different temperaments. So it is never a healthy thing to look around and say, well, I, I want my assignment, my calling to be like his or to be like hers. No, Jesus said to Peter after the resurrection, and he said, Peter, you're, you're going to be crucified because you're my follower. And immediately Peter said, well, what about John? Is he going to have to walk that path too? And Jesus said, you don't worry about John. You just follow me. So guess what the Lord's saying to you and me today? He's saying whether we're male or female, single or married, Regardless of our racial, ethnic background, those are not the most important things. God's specific assignment and calling for each of us is not the same. And number eight, write it in, we're to obey God's commandments, God's commands, and live for his glory, 
no matter our life circumstances. You see, if you go through life always playing the comparison game, you'll become bitter and disillusioned. But if you go through life saying, Lord, you've placed me where I am for a purpose. Show me how to live for your glory where I am. Oh, it'll change the trajectory of your life. Let's run to the end. This next section is long. I want us to read through it, but I just want to highlight one principle from it. He says, now concerning the betrothed, in other words, those who are engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. In other words, he was saying, the Bible doesn't tell us what the present distress was. It may have been a famine. It may have been some other difficulty. But the bottom line is, Paul was saying, what, because of the immediate circumstances, I want to say, if you're single, stay single. If you're married, stay married. But if you don't want to do that, that's okay too. Look at it, verse 27. He says, are you bound to a wife? Don't, do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But if you do marry, you've not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she's not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time's grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealing in it, for the present form of this world is passing away. He's saying all the normal stuff of life, well, that's really not where your ultimate focus needs to be. Your ultimate focus needs to be pleasing the Lord. Look at verse 32. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. His interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you. Here it is. This is where he's driving. Look at it. End of verse 35. He says, I, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. He is saying, that's what I want you to be, fully committed to Christ. And then he finishes, verse 36, if anyone thinks he's not behaving properly toward his betrothed, and if his passions are strong, it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It's not a sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. So write it in, number nine. In terms of undivided devotion to the Lord, marriage is good. Paul's not anti-marriage. But he's saying in their present circumstances in Corinth, singleness would have even been better because it would have allowed undiv undivided devotion to the Lord. Last truth. He says a wife, verse 39, is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's free to be remarried to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she's happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the spirit of God. 
So the last thing I want to highlight here is followers of Jesus are to marry only in the Lord. It means when you do choose to get married, if you choose to get married, you should only marry another follower of Jesus. Someone who loves him, who follows him, who's eager to please him, and would share the deepest commitments of your heart. Wow, what teaching, what instruction the Lord gives us today. Now let me ask you the question again with which we began. Do you believe the Lord knows what's best for us? I do. And I think he's told us some of what's best for us today. And so the question for every Christ follower, the question for every church, the question for you is going to be related to sex and singleness and marriage. Are you going to adopt the standards of the world are you going to embrace what the Lord says is best? And by his grace, for his glory, attempt to live that out in the power of his spirit every day. Now, one last question before we say amen and sing our concluding song. Some of you are going to say, but now, Pastor Tim, as I've listened to you and as I've listened to the scripture today, it's convicted me. It's made me feel bad. Because I realized that some of my choices, well, they haven't been what God intends. So what do you do if that's you? Well, one of the things you can do is you could sort of say within, well, that's just the way I did it. You can just sort of bow up and say, well, that's just the way I did it, and that's the way I'm going to do it, and that's the way it is. I really recommend you don't take that path. But instead, if you have felt conviction today, as we all do from God's Word from time to time, I want you to allow that conviction to lead you to repent and to embrace the truth. And from this point forward, agree with God about what is pleasing to him and live that for your own good and his glory. You know what? You can find forgiveness. You can find cleansing. You can get your feet on the right road. You can begin to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. Church family that I love, that's what I'm praying for, me and you. That we won't be like the world. We'll be like the holy people of God that he intends us to be. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the convicting power of it. And Lord, I pray that you would help us by your spirit live in ways that please you every day. Give us courage not to conform to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Lord, I want to pray for every friend in this room and beyond who's listening today. 
that you would forgive us, you would restore us, you would put our feet on a good path and help us walk that path in a way that pleases you. Help us to build our lives on the truth of your word. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name, amen.